0: So I invite you to take a moment to drop into that holy ground that our beautiful singers just shared with us. And as Joe Dispenza talks about in his beautiful book, Breaking the Habit of Being Yourself, one of the ways to do that is through induction and noticing where you are in this space right now, noticing your head. So I invite you to join me to close your eyes and notice where your head is in this space and your shoulders and your torso Feel your chair, your hips, your legs, grounding your feet on the floor, dropping down into, quieting that busy mind, using the environment of the body as a vehicle to bring you present. As we discussed last week, the, the intention and the feeling tone So let us capture the feeling tone right here and right now, the spaciousness of this moment, the generosity of this moment. That spirit is always available, alive within each and every one of us, around us, to see it and to begin with ourselves and to see it in others. Let us sing this day from this mystery This mystery of love, of peace, of joy. In this very room, there's quite enough love for all the world. And in this very room, there's quite enough joy for all the world. And there's quite enough love And quite enough power To walk through our every fear For spirit, one spirit Is in this very room In this very room So once again, grounding ourselves in the energetic of this present moment, dropping down into that holy ground, into our hearts, into the energetic field of the mystery of life and opening ourselves up in that spaciousness. I affirm and know and speak my words in gratitude and appreciation for the the consciousness that guides and directs my articulation. I recognize first and foremost there is one life, that life is perfect, that life is God. And I claim that in my heart and my mind energetically, that life is my life here and now. As we open to this, there's a new conversation and a new experience of beingness that unfolds. And so let us take this beautiful unfolding of consciousness and this experience, this, this presence of love and offering it unconditionally and beautifully wherever it is called for that as we look out upon this planet and see the discord and distress, the suffering, the confusion, and the fear that is finding its way in so many people's lives, let us be the presence of love in this moment, understanding the eternality of life, that this has come to awaken all of us, and that we offer our unconditional support and compassion for each and every person. That is as our, our charter articulates for this beautiful community of light, that we are a, a beacon of light and a tower of strength. So as we stand together in, our, in the awareness and the recognition and the embodying of our nature, our true nature, our divine nature, ever more expanding and, and expressing, I just give thanks, knowing that something beautiful and powerful has found its way here today that continues to work in us and through us and for us, giving birth to the greater yet-to-be. And so I just give thanks and gratitude for all the blessings that have brought us together today for this beautiful tradition, for our beautiful musicians, for our volunteers, not just here today, but for years, for the past 30 years, whose consciousness and love permeates this environment as well. Releasing these words in gratitude and appreciation, knowing that that what is important and right for each and every one of us to perceive, to know, and to gather this day to, to add to our arsenal of awakening is fully available. And so in that recognition and joy and appreciation, I release these words and invite you to say with me, and so it is. All right. So I wanted to just coach you a little bit because at the, at the end of that presentation that these lovely musicians do, and, and uh, Anna was over there at the first one, so she's not there right now, but Anna and Katie and, and Teresa and uh, Kent, who's playing guitar today. So it says, 30 seconds of silence, and then we clap. So um, it may seem a bit incongruent to you, so I wanted to coach you up a little bit because we love them and it's so wonderful and it's great when we, we applaud. But one of the ways that we can do this is we can... If you're at the Michael Beckwith's agape, many times, rather than clap, they go like this. And they offer their unconditional love that way. So I just want to let you know, I don't want people feeling conflicted or guilty or that they're doing something wrong, although we are filming you, and if you are clapping, we'll talk to you later, but... No, the point being is it is a bit incongruent because it's so lovely and beautiful and we do want to show our appreciation. But, um, you know, you can do one hand. I was like, Katie's there now and I can send her my love. Thank you, Katie. She's chuckling. They saw this at the first service. But just a a thought and an idea. And if you you still clap, we get it. But I'm just letting you know it is a bit incongruent because we like to, to say thank you so much for your love. But there's another way to convey that. So I want to share with you something uh, before we get into Dr. Joe Dispenza's Breaking the Habit of Being Yourself this week. Wonderful uh, little, short little paragraph, a couple paragraphs from Dr. Ernest Holmes on a new, from A New Design for Living. And um, he says this about, uh, it's called Avoid Civil War, which I think ties in so beautifully with what Dr. Joe is talking about. Thought, emotion, and action must be unified in purpose and Intent. It's exactly what Dr. Joe is talking about in his book, Breaking the Habit of Being Yourself. And if that's not happening, where there's an incongruency there, and so we get stuck. There's trapped energy. Thought, emotion, and action must be unified in purpose and intent. There must be no conflict between them, or we will find ourselves in a position where one will negate the good in the others. We must intellectually accept the truth of our affirmations of good. We must emotionally embody and feel them. Live them right now, and our every act must demonstrate that we know that they are actualities. It makes no difference if they are on the spiritual level at the present moment. They have to be there first in order to ever be anyplace else. So everything starts with thought. And it's so beautiful because what he's writing about in this book, probably, I I don't know the year of publication, but probably in the 1930s, is exactly what Dr. Joe Dispenza is talking about. This idea of congruency of thought. And word and action, and the feeling tone talked about that a lot last week, so I just think it's a wonderful launching point to sort of reinforce uh, what is the part of the eternal truth, the perennial truth that we we teach here so on the on the second slide, uh, the title of today 's sharing is "Overcoming the Environment," and you see a mountain climber there, and he 's on the side of a, a very sh- uh, sheer uh, surface, making his way up, and doesn 't look like he 's tethered from above but he might be the lead guy there. But we have to change, as, as Dr. Joe says, you have to change how you routine, routinely think and feel. I mean, that's true for what we teach in our classes. The science of mind and spirit is really what we teach. The science of mind and spirit. Because it's not just the mind anymore. It's also about the embodying of it. It's, it's the, 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 the feeling tone of it that's so important. But as we continually think about problems, we keep our problems in place. And so the revisiting familiar thoughts and feelings creates a loop that we just go round and round with. Anybody notice that? There's a little loop, a little sign there, if you've ever seen that. Probably a traffic circle sign somewhere, but it's that little sign, that, that revisiting familiar thoughts and feelings. But it's about thinking greater. It's about thinking being greater than our environment, our body, and time. Being greater than our, our environment, our body, and our time. You see that young man standing upon the, the top of the, the, the summit there and celebrating being greater than your environment, your body, and your time. And that's a challenge because everything, all of our personal experiences, the people and things, make up our brains. I mean, that's, that's a good way to measure, isn't it? I mean, we've had these experiences, and so this is what life has brought me. And why would I expect anything else? But what happens with that is that we, we limit the possibility of newness. Our memories make up our internal environment when we operate from that place. The Buddhists called, fa- the Buddhists called it falling asleep in the, in the dream. And the Toltecs use the same term, the Maya, falling asleep in this, this earthly condition. When we think from our past memories, you can only think, uh, you can only think from your past experiences. And so we, we limit that, that library of possibility. What wants to maybe get our attention, but because we have... So it's really about what we've memorized. Our environment then ends up controlling our minds. And then our identities become defined by what's out there. And what Ernest Holmes is talking about, what Dr. Joe Dispenza is talking about, what all of the wonderful metaphysical teachers are talking about on the planet right now is... There's nothing wrong with that, but it's just an a extreme limitation. There's a, a law called Hebb's Law, which says that nerve cells that fire together wire together. And we've seen this. If you've seen the movie Wet the Bleep, it talks about that extensively in that movie. That, and there's a, those neurotransmitters within our brain through the repetition. And all of a sudden, we, we create an identity. And we create either opportunity or limitation. And so it's not about throwing it all away, but it's also understanding, hmm, isn't this interesting? Is this this an idea? Is this a a thought? Is this a consciousness that I want to continue to give, give life to? Do I want to be the midwife of the same possibility over and over and over again? So as Dr. Joe says, we become hardwired to hard times. You and I are the creators of the loop. There's Infinite Loop. Anybody live on that street? A lot of us have. A lot of us have. I mean, if we look at some of the conversations that are going on right now in the world, you know, it's about, it's about uh, pulling back and maintaining what's, what's uh, uh, familiar. And it's also creating limitations, it's it's competition, it's marginalizing, it's judging. There's a lot of things happening right now, and it's very easy to fall into that because the loop is so strong. People memorize those things so well. So I want to share with you today some of the things that Dr. Joe talks about in the habit of breaking yourself. I have some pictures of some people that have overcome and have not stayed in that loop, The first one is a picture of uh, Dr. Martin Luther King. Dr. Martin Luther King said, I have a dream. He said, I don't have have a plan. He didn't say, I have a plan or I have an idea. I have a dream. I have a dream. And his dream was that that children of color could go to school and participate in in a rich and meaningful life and have opportunities in their life, just like everybody else. And there were so many people trapped in that loop of, of marginalizing and judging because of skin color, that it had created a lot of conflict, and yet he held fast to that. In fact, he gave his life to it. But he was a visionary because he, he saw the possibility. Then there's uh, William Wallace. Despite what Mel Gibson did in Braveheart, William Wallace was actually the guy that, as a, Scotland, a Scots, Scottish leader, he led one of the, He was the main leaders of Scottish independence. There was a battle on Stirling Bridge, which he led the, the battle and uh, victorious over the English. In any way, he started to give birth to another possibility. And he held that fast. He was finally c- captured and, and uh, put to death by the English at that time. But he started the movement once again. Gave his life to this. There's Marie Curie. Marie Curie was the woman that, that helped define the elements radium and polonium. Which we use in radiation. We use it today when people have cancer. Sometimes the treatment is, is radiation. But an amazing, brilliant woman who became a student when women weren't even considered that they could think like this or study like this. She was the first woman to, woman to win the Nobel Prize in two categories: physics and chemistry. And she was also and the first woman to win the Nobel Prize, and also the first woman to, to be allowed to attend the University of Paris. So she was a, a groundbreaker. But this, her, her curiosity and she partnered with this beautiful man and they did this amazing work together. But she saw problems and then she worked to find the scientific solutions as a scientist to, to um, bring relief to, to life as we knew it. open up a whole new path of, of thought and consciousness and possibility. Gandhi, Mahatma Gandhi, preeminent leader of the Indian independence movement uh, in British-ruled India. And many of us know a story. We have he's one of our heroes over here. He employed nonviolence and civil disobedience, and he was consistent with it, and he nurtured that. And it's actually one of the models that Dr. Martin Luther King used with the civil rights movement. And then there was Thomas Edison. Thomas Edison de- developed photography. He helped, he developed the motion picture. Uh, he was involved with electricity. I know there's many stories about him, but he gathered together a lot of great people to help him develop so many of the ideas that he saw as possibilities. And then there was the French heroine and martyr, Joan of Arc. And Joan of Arc had visions. She was a, some thought she was a lunatic, but she, uh, she professed to be in contact with the Archangel Michael with St. Margaret and St. Catherine. And she was called to help defend France in the battle of the, the Hundred Year War with England. She was captured by the English at a certain point in time and she was um, considered a heretic and put to death. She was burned at the stake when she was 19 years old. But her legacy and her vision is part of what has inspired so many young women. And she's an icon for the French uh, culture. So, what do these all have in, in common? They are dreamers. The dreamers, greatness is holding fast to a dream independent of the environment. And this is part of our tradition. What it requires is unrealistic nonsense. The greatest individuals in history were unwaveringly committed to a future destiny without any need for immediate feedback from the environment. They held to it, even though the environment and all of the measurables, all of the measurables would say no. They held fast to it. Laura and I had dinner with uh, two friends of ours that used to be very involved with the community. They moved to Kelowna. And we had dinner on Wednesday night. They were in town, and we went and had dinner with them. We had a great visit, and we got talking about it. And they have, their lives are just exploding in, in wonderful ways, successful ways. And we, I started, I asked her, one of the, what is your part of, what is your method? And uh, the, the wife said, well, we every year we sit down and we write down what's achievable, what's possible, what is boundless. What is achievable, what's possible, what's boundless? I do it twice and I go slow because I had to call her because we were talking about so much stuff I didn't have anywhere to write down. So achievable, possible, and boundless. So every year in, in January, they go away for a week and they do meditation, they do spiritual practice, and they ask, this year, what's achievable for us? And then what might be possible? And then what would be boundless? And I'll tell you, she showed us her treasure map. You know, in many of our classes, we have a treasure map with pictures. And she showed us her treasure map. She had it on her iPhone. And she said, now, you see everything on here? And uh, I said, yeah. And she said, everything that's on here, we have demonstrated in our lives. And it included an airplane, a really, really expensive airplane. And I thought, wow, look at you guys. You took what we teach here, the principles of what we teach here, and it's it's not just because of us, but it's exactly what we teach, what we support, and every year, they would sit down and do their achievable, their possible, their boundless. And all of a sudden, what was achievable in their lives, uh, what was boundless in their lives is now their achievable. And so it was very inspiring to, to see this. I talked about the view from their home, picture of a home that they'd imagine, and they're living in that home. and they, they, Just fascinating. And it's not about stuff. I get that. But what it's about is the shift in consciousness. That's what interests me. So we have our AGM coming up. On uh, Wednesday. And if you're a member, we hope you're there. And if not, please fill out a proxy. But I thought about this because every year we go round and round with the budget. Round and round with the budget. What do we put in the budget? And there have been years where we have really been great with what's achievable and counted the beans really well. Because you've got to count the beans. You know what I mean? And I've got to know what you got. You don't want to spend more beans than you got. Because pretty soon you get to the end of the month, there's no beans. So we get that. And so many years we'll pull back and say, okay, we can do this, and let's back everything up and make sure it's all achievable and everybody will feel good about it. And yet to do that is not really in integrity with what we stand for. Because there's many times no conversation about what's possible and what's boundless. So a year ago, we put in there that we wanted to hire an executive director. And the bean counters, I had a a coffee with someone this week for an hour and a half about how the the salary seemed to be out of structure with the income. And part of it was because we were boundless in what we projected and said, we'd like to hire an executive director because there's a lot of wonderful programs that we'd like to do here. And and we we see that as a possible strategy. So if I'm in the consciousness of what's achievable, what am I doing over there and boundless? And what I realized is we don't need one budget here. We need three budgets. One budget is achievable. You know, I've been accused of being a leaper in my peri- time. You know, I am a leaper. I left, I left my home. You know that uh, Paul Simon? I left my home and my family when I was no more than a boy. Anyway, I did. <laughs> and then I left the United States of America to come to Canada. So I'm, I am a bit of a leaper. But you know what? I'm a bean counter, too. I get it. So we put this, this stretch goal in. We didn't spend the money, but we put it in the budget because we thought it was possible. And we interviewed, we interviewed seven candidates this year, and none of them were right. You know, my friend Roger Teal's done this in, the, in the Mile High Church. It took him five years to find the right candidate. We didn't talk about that last year. We just said, well, we'd like to move in the direction of this. It might take us 10 years when the right person shows up we'll know it and the consciousness will be in place but if we don't put it there and we just say let's all count the beans let's preserve everything we have let's keep everything in place how are we not how are we tapping into what Ernest Holmes asked us to do and to be on this planet whether we hire an executive director or not is not the point it is the consciousness you grow by thinking about what's possible and what's boundless and if we don't become the opportunity and the opening for that to happen then what good are we I can go back and be a Catholic if I want to keep everything in place. They'd probably love to have me. I could start a small group there with bean counters. It would be great. We could, I could be an altar boy again. I got kicked out of the altar boys when I was grade five. You didn't know that about me, did you? It's true. I didn't want to be an altar boy, and it wasn't an option for me to quit. So I knew I had to get fired, and I did. I didn't know the Latin. It was embarrassing. I would mumble all the time. I did about it. Amen. I knew the amen. I knew the timing of it. I just didn't know the words. But we need, you know, on, on Wednesday, I'm going to talk about all three of these because I think it's important. Joe Dispenza says in this book, if you don't practice the feeling tone, Cliff Christopher, we're doing work with Cliff. We're trying to bring in all of our centers. Most of our centers are broke. They're small. They're broke. And so we got together and I said, how can we help shift the consciousness of abundance with our centers? You know, 30 people on a Sunday. And they struggle and they're in rented spaces and all this stuff. And none of the ministers are full-time. They're all doing part-time other work and all that. Nothing wrong with that. But why, this is such a beautiful tradition. I've given my whole life to this. I came here, I leapt into this community because I wanted to do this full-time. And I wanted, to, I wanted to see what was possible, because I'm a leaper and a dreamer. I believe in what Martin Luther... I have a dream. I think it's possible to be resourced and to attract beautiful people. And what I know about this is I have to become that. That's my part to do in consciousness. I have to, be the, I have to resonate in that. And I'm still committed to that. And I don't look at where we are now as, as, as a, a failure. It's just part of the journey. It's part of the journey. But if we, if we quit, we can quit any time. Isn't that a great thing? The My teacher used to say that to me all the time because I'd go in and threaten her. I'd say, this is getting too hard. I'm quitting. And she'd say, well, we'll see you later. Thanks for stopping by. I said, really? You're not going to talk me out of it? I'm leaving. I'm leaving forever. No, it was great to have you here. Thanks. Well, you're not getting rid of me that easy. (laughs) Because she knew I had to choose. I had to want to be there. It was my choice. And she honored me. I adore her. I do her more now than I ever have. And she's right here with me energetically. You know, our gang went down to Abhijania. I didn't go this time to John of God. Man, when you guys were there, holy cow, were they, was the current working on me. Whew. And there's, a, there's a whole experience you have there, and our group went, and I'm like, oh, my gosh. There was just some things happening, so thank you for going and opening that door. Beautiful stuff. But the point being is, you got to count the beans. I get it. I get it. But we, when you just count the beans and say, you know, this is where we are, don't put that in. The, I mean, we go round and round with this every year with the budget. How dare you guys put that in there? I'm sorry. Is that upsetting you and scaring you? Because if we don't have the money and we don't have the person, we're not going to spend the money. It means the consciousness isn't there. But can we, can we entertain it? Can we stretch into it? Can we look at what's possible? You know, we did a rendering of a new building. We talked about what that would take. We know what it's going to take. We're not there. We haven't haven't signed. We haven't broke ground to build a new building. We have this beautiful rendering. What's possible? Because we we want to have an environment. Dawn uh, Southey Hills did our um, meditation earlier this morning, and she's teaching children here to meditate. So many kids showed up, she's got to have two people help her. Now, that's a great, great situation. That's not failure. I mean, what if we get to decide whatever we want to be, what if we became known as a center where people could bring their children to learn meditation in a way that ignites in them the the greater yet-to-be, so they become visionaries and leaders in their own lives, that they move on this planet grounded in the truth of their being in a way that doesn't make sense to a lot of people. Yeah, but I mean, but let's not put that in the budget as a possibility. Because that wouldn't be counting the beans. And I don't know, I don't know the value, but what I'm going to talk about on, on Wednesday night is I'm going to talk about the three budgets. This is what we know, and if we back up in our budget, we adjust accordingly. We always have, we always will. We're not going to leap somewhere so far, so fast that Marsha Sutton calls that the early arrival of dreams. You demonstrate something in your life, you force it before you're ready in consciousness, and it always implodes. It's having the wisdom. It's having the wisdom. But, you know, people have gone before us in what the opportunities are. I'm inspired by my, my buddy, uh, Reverend Norm Bouchard. Norm went down to John and God with the gang. Met the Reverend Norm down there, didn't you? That guy's amazing. He's got this church within uh, in, uh, Colorado Springs that's just doing amazing, incredible things. And, they, they, and, and I borrowed Norm's strategy around what's possible and how you shift a culture. It takes years. It takes years. Because we've memorized things the way it should be, we memorize it. And then it's like, how do we, how do we dissolve those memories so that something greater yet to be can show up? But it's kind of cool. There's no pressure to do it. We don't have to do anything. But I think it's just an interesting and beautiful thing to watch. It's like, you see, we are a cruise ship. And if you've ever been on a cruise ship, I never have. I don't know if I ever will be, but I've heard stories. But we are a cruise ship and we have a destination. And if we turn the cruise ship on a dime, a lot of people fall overboard. There's a lot of damage. People bang into walls and fall down and all kinds of stuff. So the, 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 the opportunity is how do you shift the culture over time so that the cruise ship can shift its trajectory a little bit and that everyone says, yeah, I think we do want to go over there. But it's building the consciousness. So it's not either or. But it's also understanding now, I'm I'm understanding now when people come to me with their concerns, what kingdom of consciousness they are speaking from. It's either achievable, possible, or boundless. I get boundless suggestions all the time too. And it's wonderful. But I also know that, but, but then I get to be accountable and say, that's a great idea, but probably not today. You know what I mean? It's just understanding what resources are. So it's a beautiful thing, and I finally get it. After 20 years of ministry, I finally get, oh, I get to speak about. See, my role here is to understand what's achievable, but also to give voice to, and my spiritual practice and everything I stand for, possible and what's boundless. When I talk to my friends and said, you know, five years ago, we put this all on a vision sheet, and this is what's possible now. So then I get to take the rendering of the new building, and it's either that or something better. I get to take the, the, whatever the possibilities are, and put them on a, on a vision sheet and work with them and memorize them and be part of that. It's part of my spiritual practice. Like Ken Gordon said to me years ago when we started this initiative with our centers to help them prosper more. He said, if we continue the way we're continuing, there's going to be nothing left in another 20 years. He's our spiritual leader. When I left the leadership council, I said, will you help us with this? Because it's hard to find people with enough juice around it because most people are interested in what's What's achievable? And achievable is great, but we limit the possibility of the greater yet to be, we don't entertain the ideas. And so in our own lives, we have to be willing to step into the unrealistic nonsense. The greatest individuals in history were unwaveringly committed to a future destiny without any need for immediate feedback from the environment. Yeah, it's not showing up. When I know what's accountable, it's not showing up yet. But I'm setting the table. It's like setting, preparing the room for a wonderful meal. When you set the table in your mind's eye, do you, do you leave one place available for that infinite divine presence to show up? Or do you just set enough for everybody you know showing up? because there's only enough food for those people? Or, or do you, or do you in, a, in that metaphor, do you realize, this is boundless. There's enough for everybody. And I'm, inv- and I'm inviting that, that, that mystery of life, that, that divine in, to set the table for the divine. A lady told me at the end of the first service, I used that metaphor, she said, I I finally get this, I finally set a place for my mom at every family function, even though she passed away. I said, good for you. Invite that consciousness in, that mystical, beautiful consciousness. We're the ones limiting it. We're the ones that memorize this stuff. I'm not saying run out and spend money you don't have, but entertain the possibility of what it would feel like live your ideal what would it feel like to live your dream I mean I look at the United States I look what's going on down there with the discourse of hatred and judgment and walls going to be built and and uh, all the things that are going on and, and it's just a reflection of how fear can circulate and circulate and then it becomes a language and you see how many people are afraid anger is fear I don't choose to be part of that community when I look at that I go right into prayer work I know that God's presence is there, I affirm and know, I'll do what I can in my own activities and life with that. I don't want to leave that legacy to my grandchildren and to their grandchildren. We're part of a very important movement. And if, if, and if we stay trapped in what's achievable, I think Dr. Ken's right, in 20 years we won't be around. The teaching will be around and people will be using it. But it probably won't look like this. So there's two important points. We change our brains by thinking differently. And when we are single-minded, the brain does not know the difference between internal and external. So we can practice. One of the examples Dr. Joe uses in the book is he had people practice mentally the piano for two hours a day. And then they measured the synapses within the brain and they found it almost identical to the people that actually practiced two hours a day. The same brain shifts took place. To imagine it is almost just as effective and powerful. So, the four elements to change in the brain learning, knowledge, and that creates synapses. Synapses start to connect, and we learn new things. Number two, hands on instruction. We either see ourselves doing it, we imagine the feeling tone of the experience. What would it feel like to live in the boundless? The resources were not an issue. Where freedom was not compromised. Where there was a world that worked for everyone where resources were available, that people cared enough about the environment. See, the earth is alive. The earth is alive. The mystics have told us this for years. The earth is alive. And so how do we interact with the earth in a way not to dominate it or to destroy it, but to work with it? It's a living entity. Working with those ideas, growing that memory within ourselves, growing new brain circuits, and paying attention. When we pay attention, The frontal lobe lights up. It's unique to us. So, and then the repetition. So, Dr. Joe in this book talks about induction. He talks about focusing your body and uh, your body, uh, focusing on your body and environment. And he talks about it in the back of Breaking the Habit. It's a wonderful spiritual practice. At the back of the book, chapter 10, he starts with the practices. And what he says in there is that induction so, the little practice I did with you, noticing yourself in the environment, where's your head? How do you feel? Notice your torso? Isn't it paradoxical the environment of our body actually can take us there? But what happens when we start to notice it, we become more present. We move. We shut down the analytical mind by forcing us into a sensing-feeling mode, and feelings are the language of the body, which in turn is the subconscious mind. So induction allows you to use the body's natural language to interpret and change the language of the operating system. In other words, if you're sensing or putting your awareness on different aspects of your body, you would be thinking less, shifting your analytical thoughts from past to future less, and broadening your focus more to encompass a very different scope. It creates the open focus when brainwaves naturally become orderly and synchronized, a sense of well-being. And we can do it right where we are. That's a beautiful thing. And then there's a a fertile field of possibility. And then if you've got written down what's what's achievable this year, what's possible, what's boundless for you, the infinite is just waiting. The infinite is saying, "What would you like? What would you like?" Well, if I could just do as well as I did last year, I'd be really happy. And the infinite says, "You got it. Good for you. You got it." But the more we practice the feeling tone, the more we break ourselves out of this pattern of what we've memorized, and give the infinite something more interesting and more rich and fully orbed to to, uh, show up, I think all of us benefit. All of us benefit. we got to count the beans, all of us. I counted at first service, I got $41. Well, I got $42 and a couple loonies in my pocket right now. I know how many beans I got today. I'm probably not going to spend more than $42 today. In fact, I probably won't spend any money today. But the point is I know. And yet it doesn't keep me from playing in the in the possible, in the boundless, on what this what this holds for me. I got stuff I gotta do. I got stuff I know I'm called to do as a result of the opportunity I've been given. And I'm not I'm not holding up my end of it up. I know that about me. And I'm not beating myself up over it. I'm just knowing, wait a minute, stop putting so much energy into this and this and this. Stop it. Memorize this. I'm with you in this. I got all kinds of stuff memorized, it's none of my business. If I can't do it spiritually, I'm going to go have a frontal lobotomy done. That should help me. <laughs> so the last uh, slide I want to show you is around this. Well, the other was focus on your body and your environment. And then there's this water induction. And Dr. Joe says, you can imagine, and you can record this on your iPhone and then play it back to yourself. There's wonderful meditations in here. He talks about visualizing being in a chair and water rising until you're under the water. Says so some people don't like it because they feel like they're going to drown. But it's another way of bringing yourself into the present moment and bringing the brain into that open focus, that spaciousness. And then planting the seeds, that feeling tone of possibility. If you've got written out what's possible, what's boundless, why not? Otherwise, you're just planting the same crop over and over again. I'm tired of eating pumpkin for every meal. You know what I mean? So in the practices... There we are, the water, the practices. And I, I don't have all these, I'm not going to share with you, but the, after Easter next week, I will share with you the rest of this list. There's, there's uh, seven of them. But he says, choose an emotion to unmemorize. What emotion do you have memorized so well you don't even realize you've got it memorized? And go about the business of working with this divine intelligence using the induction, using the meditation to ask the question, what, have I ha- what do I have memorized here that I'm willing to unmemorize? Observe how the unwanted emotion feels in your body. Define the state of mind associated with the emotion. And then there's four other pieces that he offers that I'll share with you in, in a couple of weeks after our Easter celebration. We've got an amazing Easter program planned for you here. I'll finish with this today. All truly Dr. Holmes, once again, from the New Design for Living. See, when I got up in front of, when I was first voted to the Religious Science International Board of, of Directors years ago when I was new to ministry and they were looking for warm bodies and they asked me and I, I said, yeah. I said, you know what I bring to this? I bring a consciousness of success. So one thing I said, and I know that. I bring a consciousness of success. I, great success, but change the world, no. But you know what? You give me something to do, I'll get it done for you. I'll do the best I can. Because that's just the way I was wired and trained and memorized. I memorized that. So in this book, Dr. Holmes says, the foundation of success, all truly successful people carry with them an atmosphere of affirmative expectation. They, they expect to prosper and succeed. Almost automatically, situations and conditions surround it and are attracted to them that, that make success possible. It would be impossible for them to not be successful. Some people just naturally think success. Others to us seem to labor with the idea. In such a case, we must re-educate ourselves in the way we think. Is that not what George Spence is talking about? Joe's given us techniques for what Dr. Holmes is talking about. And he gave us techniques as well. The end result of such a process is is that we arrive at the point where we, we come to know that we are daily guided and governed by a supreme intelligence and acted upon by a power greater than we are. And I tell you what, when you're in the consciousness of counting the beans, it's really hard for that presence to guide us. Because we already got all the answers. And it ain't possible. Because I know. I know what history is, and I got it memorized. So don't tell me there's a there's a greater yet to be. Right here is where faith plays its very important role, a faith that is simple and that we already possess. We never try to argue ourselves into believing that we are alive or that the world is round or that water is wet. We accept these simple propositions because something within us knows that they are true. We also accept more profound conclusions with equal faith. Man is born to believe, to have faith in something greater than he is, for he is a divine being and always carried with him some echo of the infinite source in which he lives and moves. It's the truth of our being. It's the truth of our being, and when we live more and more from that, the the opportunities arise. And so our opportunity, my opportunity, your opportunity, what have I memorized that is limiting my experience of life? And go to work to, to transform that. That is awakening. And the world has never, and I don't think there's a more important and impactful thing that we can do right now with what's going on in the world and the fear that we are witnessing. And yet there's so much good that is emerging as well. I was reading, I was looking at the internet the other day and all the stuff going on in the states with politics. And then I saw an article of a, a football player, a US football player, uh, played, for, played for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I don't think he's still playing anymore, A uh, Warwick Dunn. And he has, over the last 10 years, purchased 250 homes for homeless people. He's taken the money as an athlete and he's found 250 homes to buy to put people into homes. I mean, that just cracks you open. Of all the other stuff that's going on, there, there's good breaking out everywhere. My affirmation I'm working right now is only good comes to me and only good co- goes for me. Because we're a tribe that stands for good. We, st- we stand as visionaries or we don't. And we don't help anyone when we, when we spin into the cycle of let's just keep counting the beans. Let's keep reading the newspaper and see how things are going because we're right there in victim consciousness with everybody else. And that's not why you and I showed up. We are powerful beyond measure. We have opportunities to create the vision and give this infinite divine intelligence something more interesting and powerful and productive and loving to operate with in and through and as each and every one of us. So God bless you for being who you are. Keep giving birth to it. Keep playing with the ideas. And so it is. Blessings.